There is hope for us yet I am Holly Whitaker, and I am Laura McCowan, and this is Home Podcast. It's so weird that you're in San Francisco and I'm in LA. (laughs) We missed each other by like five days. It's so dumb. What's the weather like up there? Oh, did you go? (laughs) Did you go to Scobins last night and City Lights and the things I told you to do? Or no, because I I had my dad with me, and he doesn't. He can manage to do like one or two things, and that's it. What'd you guys do? We went and ate at the Fog. Oh yeah, City Fog, or um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fog Harbor. It was great because it was like a good view, and it was what. It's it on the Embarcadero, for, right? It's that like, yeah. diner. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. good for what we were looking for. And then we kind of just walked around and and then came back and uh, I got a massage and it was life changing. And yeah. and yeah, so we're because we're actually staying in San Jose. So mm-hmm. Yeah. You're staying in my old stomping grounds. Because I'm here for the Super Bowl. That's so exciting. <laughs> You don't think it's exciting. No, I think it's terribly boring. (laughs) (laughs) Like you and I have never talked about football until last week. I know. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Um, I'm like that girl. I liked football, I think, um, maybe one year of my life. And it was because a boy liked it. I was going to say, was it because a boy liked it? Because that's. That's what happens. I, mean, I understand I, it. Like my well, my ex boy not not a year. My ex boyfriend was a quarterback, and he played. You know, he was quarterback in college, and he then he and he coached, and so I knew it because of him, and I loved it because of him, and because of how mm-hmm. passionate he was about it. Um, and it wasn't just like to, it was just because it infe- it was infectious. But um, yeah, but oh god, no. Yeah, I. It's funny because I didn't. You know, I'm not like a. I'm not a. Uh, avid NFL fan like I don't watch the games a lot but I grew up loving it in Denver um, because that that's the huge sport there and so and so you know I can kind of come in and come out of of it and paying attention and they're the you know when they were on the track to go to the Super Bowl it I, I got back into it and so it's fun and so also it's just the whole whole scene and I'm doing it with my dad and we the last time we went to a Super Bowl together was the year I graduated from college in 99. I said the last time. It's been uh, their whole I, lives. <laughs> yeah, like tw- like f- 50, over 15 years ago or whatever. And so it's funny to think about that because it was in 99. I, I, had ju- I was 22 years old. And mm. so it's fun. It's a whole lifetime in between then and now. And, you know, I was for me, he offered. And all I could think about was son, 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 son. And is it wait is it is it nice up there? I know. Uh, wait, never mind. I don't want to know because we we swore off weather talking. So let's skip. Oh right uh, no, over I that. have to talk about it. Are you kidding? Ugh. Because I just left a blizzard. Oh yeah, yeah. In Boston, it's gorgeous, and everyone's saying too. It's like the most beautiful. Like this has been the most beautiful weather weekend in a while. It's supposed to be seventy five today, and so it's heavenly weather to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, well then, okay, then then I get to talk about weather a little bit too. It's like, it was like 80 here yesterday. I wore shorts Ugh. and I went and bought vegetables at a farmer's market. I know, you oh. sent me a picture of you in shorts and I, I was like, what a bitch. It's, this is for life now. Yeah, it is. It's really awesome. I really like, I, I really wait. like, um, I like warm weather. I really do. So. Me too. Anyway, okay. So getting on with it, <laughs> we're going to talk today about socializing and um, which is a really meaty topic and will in no way get everything addressed we want to get addressed but um, I think we have some really good questions to kind of throw back and forth at one another to to start digging into the topic and we chose it because well you're at a very social event (laughs) yeah yep and it comes up all the time and it's something that is is huge you know it's it's an important piece of living your life as a newly sober person it was one of the most daunting things for me and I know for most people um so it, it seemed like the a good time to do it and being that I'm here and um yeah so let's just do you want to just dig in yeah and I want to disclaim Laura is uh, doing this from an internet connection in a hotel room. So if there's any breakup, um, it's just blame blame Hotel Valencia. Okay. That's right. You could write them a letter. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Such is life in uh, a hotel room. All right. All right. So we're going to, way that we're going to structure this for those of you who we know love structure and want to know what you're going to hear is we're each going to answer um, a few questions about what our social lives looked like before sobriety, what early sobriety looked like, uh, and what our social lives look now, like now. And then we're going to do kind of lightning round questions where we toss uh, some of the fre- most frequently asked questions uh, that we get and that we had uh, to each other and go back and forth for a while. So I'm going to make you start. So what did socializing look like before sobriety? I, yeah, I mean, I've talked about before, I started drinking when I was 15 uh, at a keg party and it was like finding the secret of the universe because all of a sudden I was no longer awkward or wanting to be part of something that I felt like I was always on the outside looking in at. I, um, you know, alcohol was was socializing, and it was kind of one of those things where I thought I would uh, I couldn't imagine a life without without. I mean, when I was I would say thinking about sobriety at some point, I just couldn't imagine a life without alcohol because it was so intertwined into my social life. And so, what socializing looked like before you know before sobriety was what it looked like, kind of throughout you know from high school through college and 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 early career, which was just a more grown up adult version of you know a keg party. Meaning, yeah. I you know my all social encounters happened over. I mean, all all social encounters happened uh, over drinks, you know? Mm -hmm. And so my social life looked like happy hours. My social life looked like fancy dinners, you know, where, you know, picked specifically for for the pairings or the mixology. Um, My social life looked like uh, hanging out at one of my girlfriends was uh, worked at a wine bar. And, you know, so my social life, you know, was around that. Uh, 
ladies' nights, sitting around eating a lot of food, each of us drinking our own bottle of wine, um, concerts that I don't remember, uh, you know, events in the park that I don't remember. I mean, it was, you know, I lived in San Francisco, you know, before sobriety, and it was, it was just typified by, uh, by really, I mean, drinking a lot and, and at various places and, uh, or just, you know, or if, you know, there was nothing to do, just gathering with drinks or pot, you know, I smoked, I I lived in San Francisco and, and I smoked a lot of pot too. Yeah. Um, but that was it. I mean, there, there's really not much more or less to it. It looked like it just it looked like a life that was that it was a very costly life. It was an expensive life. It was mm-hmm. um, a life with a lot of holes in it, um, meaning I, I couldn't remember a lot of it. And it was yeah, it was it was just your typical. I lived in San Francisco. I ate at good restaurants. I went to concerts. I hung out with my friends. Friends worked at wine bars. I had a lot of girlfriends. Mm-hmm. We all drank. That was it. Did you? Did you do, did you purposely not do things that didn't involve, like, where if you knew you wouldn't be able to drink or smoke or whatever? Yeah, it didn't sound appealing to me. I wouldn't, and it was also, it was, yeah, I, it would just, it didn't, not, like, that kind of stuff. I remember, you know, like, one of my cousins got married, and it was a dry wedding, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I didn't go to it, but I just remember, like, thinking, I'd you know, I'd have to sneak in a flask to that, or, you know, it was just, to me, it was, and it wasn't ever really this, like, oh, I've got a problem. It was just, like, I was a drinker. I mean, that was it, you know, and, and I drank, yeah. and the events I went to had drinks in it. And it didn't yep. mean that we didn't, you know, do healthy things sometimes together. But for the most part, like, we we actually would make lists. I remember, like, making a list in my friend's wine bar one night of things we could do without alcohol, and we were, like, <laughs> we were stumped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we shot, one time we went to the shooting range and shot guns. And oh I felt God. really proud of that because it wasn't it wasn't alcohol centric. But of course, after that, we went and, and had drinks. So yeah, yep, yeah. But it wasn't like what would be the point? Totally, that's exactly <laughs> like what's the point? And we would say that and laugh about it. Yeah, yeah. same, same, <clears throat> same. So, so for you, what did socializing look like before before sobriety? I mean, basically the same. It always involved alcohol I wouldn't do things that didn't have alcohol either if it wasn't a promise of alcohol during the thing it was going to be after um and baby showers and um wedding showers and things like that where you know it, it was always about for me what you know how much alcohol was going to be there and um, those events, those kinds of events maybe just were kind of torturous because I haven't been to a baby shower sober, so I don't know if they're different <laughs> sober, if they're just Isn't torturous. That funny? There's, I think, gen- one baby shower sober. One baby yeah, shower sober. Yeah, I haven't. And I think it's just the time, the time frame that I'm in right now. Like my friends have had, a lot of my friends have had their kids there aren't a lot of new babies coming around, but I also haven't been to any wedding showers sober. And so, oh, that's not true. I've been to one sober. It was really hard because it was in new sobriety, but yeah, it all looked the same. You know, I, I've been, I was writing a lot this morning for the book and I was writing about a period of time when I really found all my friends, my sort of core group of friends in Boston. And it was in my early twenties. And I thought I had just, you know, won the lottery because they had lived here in New England for so long that they had all of these 
events already built in that were very, you know, New England type events. And they all involved, they were all drinking events. And so I fell what, into like, like polo? this. What is, you, what's yes. Polo? No, yeah. seriously. <laughs> no, there's this event called The Hunt, which is in New Jersey, which is basically a massive tailgating in the middle of a polo field. Huh. So you laugh, but it's true. But no, things like um, going to Nantucket for um, Figawi, which is this boating race. And then St. Paddy's Day here, which was where I discovered like that there was a, a, an okay time to day drink for me in the morning until two in the morning the next day. I mean, I just had all of these social events now that filled up the entire calendar year. So there was always something some big, massive blowout to look forward to. And then the the regular socializing always involved drinking. You know, I had a book club that I had for 12 years that was, you know, ha-ha wine club and <clears throat> and um, concerts. I was a big concert goer. And yes, like you, blacked out for so many amazing concerts. Oh. Um, but I, I did things that had drinking, you know, and – I would never have thought that that necessarily, you know, subconsciously that that's why I was choosing those things. But and see now I wouldn't, I didn't do anything that didn't involve that. I mean, the only things that didn't involve that were like running and I specifically tried to do things that would keep me from drinking sometimes so that I, you know, like, like running a marathon because I couldn't go out on Friday nights if I was running a marathon. Yeah. Um, Because I did long runs on Saturday. So it looked the same. I mean, and then socializing became more of a solo act. um, Yes. Yeah. I meant to mention that as well. What do you, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, towards the end, the past several years, I drank mostly at home. Not mostly, but always, you know, that was kind of my favorite time to drink because. I didn't have to worry about driving. I didn't have to worry about what I was going to say, um, except for the the phone, of course. And, you know, it was just like I could have – I threw parties with myself, with me and a bunch of wine and some Ambien. And there was – I think we were just talking about this. There was nothing more exciting than having, like, a case full of wine yeah. in my house um, to me. And, yeah, it was just – there was a lot of isolated socializing, and it, that that grew to take over more space than the the social socializing. But everything, you know, my I had arranged such a life between my job that is in advertising marketing that is very booze centric, and my social life, and there was truly no aspect of my life that didn't have alcohol in it. So socializing was completely inner inner connected with drinking 100% yeah and I think it's interesting to say like so you did things that would prevent you from drinking and for me honestly there was a like at some point and I think pretty early on I dreaded I actually really dreaded um heavy drink centric things like I hated Las Vegas I hated all day events I hated weekends where I knew I'd with be with like like my uh, my two best friends from college because I knew it would be mimosas in the morning, drinks at lunch, happy mm-hmm. hour, dinner, and then nights out. I mean, we would I mean, we drank. 
I, I, with them, we drank just more than, and so I knew, I mean, to be honest, I really dreaded, I really started to dread drinking. Um, yeah. Did you dread it because you knew, you knew what, how it was going to go? It wasn't what happened. I mean, I was always okay. I ne- I stopped making an ass out of myself, to be honest. Uh, when I was in, I mean, maybe in San- maybe when I was like a first year at Deloitte, I made an ass out of myself a couple of times, and I shortly thereafter like stopped. I I did not I I did not do a lot of really embarrassing things in public. I did most of my. I would always take the party home and go further. Right. My, you know, my, my shame always came from what I would do by myself with my phone. Um, yeah. but I, but I just, but it was more of, I, it made me sick. I, I, I felt like I had to drink, but I also, yeah. um, like there was no way out of it cause I couldn't be normal without it. But I also really hated it because I hated how depressed I got afterwards. I always was flushed with a depression. I would have panic attacks, like uh, super, su- like superior anxiety. Like one time after a weekend with my five best girlfriends, who are still my five best girlfriends, who I still do girls weekend with. Yeah. Um, we were in Tahoe, and the last night there, because I just couldn't help myself. I always drank just to such extreme excess. And with them, I would make an ass out of myself because I had a free pass. And we stayed up this one night, and I put on, I don't know, bandana. And there's a there's a camera roll. There's like there's pictures somewhere of me being a fucking freak mess. Um, and then the next day, I knew I had to drive back. My mom was coming to visit. I knew I'd have to drive my car. And I got I got on the road and I had to stop in Sacramento. I was I I also accidentally went far into Nevada. Got totally turned around. Drove oh. all the way into like the barren desert land of Nevada. And then I found my way back. I stopped in Sacramento and I started looking for a hotel. It was like maybe 11 in the morning. I called one of my girlfriends and I just said, "I can't drive. I'm so sick. I'm so and it was just cold depression and anxiety." Yeah. And so I did I didn't like to drink because I always went too far with it. And I, and not only did I look terrible, terrible, terrible after I could gain like 10 pounds in a weekend, but I also <laughs> was, I would, it made me, it made me physically ill. So. Yeah, I, I understand. <clears throat> I felt that way a, a lot too towards the end because I just didn't know what was going to happen. And I, I felt really specifically that way before my brother's wedding um, and any big event like that, weddings and stuff, because I had. I would just always overdo it and, you know, so over the top. So I get that. Yeah. So, okay. So what, what did, what did your socializing look like at the beginning of sobriety? Um, it looked the same, meaning I, I still, I made a really, for me, it was, I wasn't tempted by drinking, um, the first time. And so I kept my social life up and I just, you know, stopped drinking. And so is boring. I mean, I did all the same stuff and I was out with the same people and they got the same amount of drunk and it was just as drink focused. And so I left, I started leaving earlier and, um, it looked, it looked very much the same. And then it just slowly, and I loved this part of it. I do have to say, I loved this part of it because for me it was, um, it was the showing to myself and, and this is just my own process, but it was for me a very, very like it was clean. There was something very clean about going to the same places and, and leaving early and not drinking yeah. and drinking chamomile tea next to my friends who were drinking whiskey. And um, yeah. there was something very clean about this and very empowering about this. And then mm-hmm. um, but more and more. I, it became such a path of like spiritual, um, it's such a, such a private, personal, 
deep expanding path that I just started to well first of all I started to not be invited to things but second yeah I also really went I really really um isolated myself from from that which was my social life and I started not enjoying those things and skipping the, the invitations or um yeah, or just yeah just I my social life it's just interesting. We were just talking about this because I probably within a month of like the second attempt and, you know, probably by like, you know, in April of 2013, I was just, I was, I was introverted and I was very like by the end of April, I was just, I kind of cut it all off and I just walked away from that life. I stopped going out to restaurants. I st- you know what I mean? All the things, yep. all the former things just stopped and so when I left San Francisco I, we talked about this a bit but when I left um it was a lot of people kind of assumed it was a very hard thing for me to do to leave that city because I lived there for so long and I'd had so much there but I had killed myself two years I mean like the 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 part that I think was emotional was the realization that I had died there um I died there like I died in April 2000 the holly January the, ho- the yeah. holly that lived yeah that thrived in San Francisco yeah I died there I died there when I was drinking at the end of my drinking because I isolated and I died there when I changed when I basically pulled the plug on my life and walked in a different direction and so yeah. it was more the painful part about leaving it was actually realizing that I'd been almost floating as a ghost among the remains of something that no longer was and um, it was very very hard to come to that realization more that I had been living out an existence in a place that was no longer alive for me um, than it was to leave that place behind I had left it all behind but I also hadn't I had done it so quickly I hadn't even realized that I had left it all behind and so um, so yeah it was my social life was it just was I I you know for the most part it was like a very very like quiet death of of a social life and um and yeah like do you did were you I mean I know you've written about this but not everyone has read that like you there was a loneliness about that right but you also started to build like and we'll get into this but like this is right in sobriety the beginning of sobriety is what we're talking about yeah yeah okay but okay. it but you're right but it was that was it was deeply lonely it was it was very um but it was also like lonely but it was also not lonely in that i was finding something that was a jewel and i was coming alive again and it's like there's there's no way to encapsulate all of those feelings because it was more feelings than i'd ever had in my entire life in a very short period of time it was like an explosion <laughs> yes. and so to say that and also things happen very quickly you know what I mean we process through things we move through things very quickly we evolve very quickly and so it's hard to say oh this is what it looked like because to be honest it changed so quickly and also it moved through a whole spectrum so quickly and there were it was dotted by periods of different things and you know and up and down and left and right and there's many different things that are happening at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So my, I mean, but to say what my social life looked at the beginning, we're talking about my social life. My social life looked like I, I carry it on as per usual, and then I, it just stopped serving me. And also it was 
it was deep there was a deep competition between maintaining a social life and really falling in love with myself and and spending nights alone in my apartment with piles of books and vedic music and chanting and my yoga mat and my essential oils and all the plants i bought and my cat and planning trips and you know and at experiencing meditation and doing you know and drinking tea and doing you know and dancing in my apartment and there was just it was there was no there was just there's you know there's there's there was a it was a slow death of a a quick a quick slow a quick slow death and also the beginning of a very internal world um that I loved and so yeah yep I love it okay so what about you what did your social look like in the beginning of sobriety yeah I so let's see um I did, it's hard to, so I'll take my beginning of sobriety as, as the time sort of, because there was that year and a half where I had started to stop, um, I tried to stop, but I wasn't putting any real sober time together. And then there was the time, you know, the first actual year after I, that I got sober. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that in between year, because I think there's a lot there, um, that I struggled with, you know, I, I definitely, um, I did not try to maintain my life per use as you did. Uh, or when I did try to do that, I suffered and I quickly stopped trying to do that. It just caused me too much anxiety to think about going out to the bars and going out. And to be clear, you know, I had also got, just gone through, a separation and that in itself sort of cleaved my social life in, in a big way. And I had moved out of the city and so had a lot of my friends. So what I, what used to be a very tight knit, big thriving circle of people was already starting to break apart in a big way by the time I went to get sober. Um, but I stopped, you know, I very quickly stopped hanging out with friends who I drank with, and that was most of my friends at, the, at that point. Um, and I and I didn't try to go to the bars. Uh, the the few times that I did, I did with the intention, you know, that maybe I was going to not drink, but kind of knowing I was just going to do it. And you know, work. I, I had a compartmentalized social life very much. I had work, my work social life, I had my friend's social life. And then I started to have this new group of people that were sober because I went to AA meetings and I started to meet them and I started to see how they socialized. And um, I wasn't comfortable in any of those situations at all. I, I did things because I didn't want to be, you know, I was depressed and felt very alone, but I wasn't enjoying myself in any situation. You know, I'd have brief, maybe tiny blips of, of enjoying myself, but I was largely mostly just uncomfortable in my skin for a good year. Um, I would go to AA parties and, or, you know, sober parties. And I hated, hated, hated that because it, it was felt, you know, okay, so we had just described what our social life looked like, right? Yeah. Like restaurants and, you know, it all was very glamorous in my mind. It didn't actually play out glamorously because it was, you know, because I don't even need to explain that. But yeah. Um, 
but then I would go to these, you know, sober parties and they'd be like in someone's basement or someone's house or you know, some gathering. And it was a lot of, you know, it, it, first of all, not seeing alcohol at a party was like shocking to me and so confusing. Yeah. And it was, um, I felt like I was in junior high again. Yeah. And also emotionally, I felt like I was in junior high again. I was so, the social anxiety was so turned up and I did, had no idea how to talk to people. I had no idea how to do anything. I didn't, I, it was about as uncomfortable as I've ever felt. But I did that because I didn't know what else to do with myself. And so my, and and on top of that, you know, I had a daughter. And so some of my socializing, a lot of it was around her and her activities. So I would do, you know, the ma- the, the birthday parties and the play dates and all of that. And I would really avoid ones where, I, where there was alcohol, um, which is a lot of them. <laughs> so mine, like you said, was, um, it, it was a very, it was a lot of, competitions going on between I was stuck in this like limbo of really not wanting to be sober I mean really really not wanting it and yet wanting to be in some level or wanting not you know not wanting not to struggle so hard certainly and wanting not to wanting to be happy and wanting to connect to people um, but just not really really knowing how so I look at that first you know year or so as a really a really big struggle Socially, I went from someone who was always the center, uh, you know, kind of a connector of people to each other. You know, my house and and my relationship and my marriage was always some, you know, we were connectors to lots of different groups of friends to really being on my own, both literally and, you know, figuratively too, and, and trying to figure out who that person was. You know, I, I went from someone who had people over to her house all the time to not doing that anymore because I didn't know how to do it without having alcohol there. I didn't want to. It sounded awful. Yeah. Um, I think one thing I want to say, it just kind of reminded me, I was, you know, for, for you, um, no, for me, it was what's interesting, and I love this difference in our story because I think it just is so helpful that we had such extreme different experiences mm-hmm. I when you said when you talk about going to that sober party it makes my whole like I couldn't have done that I would have I would have that for me would have been one of the hardest things for me to do and here's why yeah. I needed everything to be as fucking normal as possible I needed I couldn't deal there was too much change going on with me as it was all of this was so different it was moving so fast the last thing I could have done is walk into a room of all sober people and drink from a punch bowl you know <laughs> like it would it would have that would have been the end of me and so yeah. for me I was very like for me part of this is why this just struck me this is why it was so important for me a lot of times you and I talk about this and you couldn't have done that. I couldn't have done what you did and you couldn't have done what I did. And yeah. here's why. I had it. I used to, I had to, I had to keep as much normal and consistent as possible. I had to still go out with my friends, go to the bars. I would actually, my friend Jeff, I would make him drink. I would literally be like, please, for the love of fucking God, have the whole bottle of wine, just 
do it because I can't stand it. I didn't want anyone to change on my behalf. I didn't want anyone yeah, to act I differently. That. I mm-hmm. wanted it to go on as normally as possible. And I urged people to continue on around me as as, as it was because yeah. there was so much personal change going, so much personal shift going. I could only handle so much at my, at once. And if I had if I had then instead started going to sober parties, I I mean that would have been I would have been <laughs> It would have been yeah, the end yeah. I yeah, and you haven't really. It, it sounds like that hit you when I was talking. I it did wreck me. It was really I didn't you know, and I compare like notes to say other people, and some people were like, I was so happy to be around people. You know, I was so thrilled for this social circle, and I was not thrilled by it. Not that I didn't love the people. I liked some of them a lot, but I just it was too it was jarring. Too much. Too much. Like, I, I felt like I, truly, it was like, we're listening to, you know, music on a stereo and eating a bunch of candy and pizza and having, you know, soda. And I wanted to die because I didn't want that, you know, it was just, it, it, it was like showing up to a party naked, basically, for me. Yeah. Well, uh, I think for me, it just wouldn't, I mean, I am, oh, it's taken me a long while to acclimate to the less to, to being cool with things that are less big. I still needed yeah. big. I still needed 4 a.m. I still needed, you know, being nuts. I still needed, you know, I still, like one of my one of my clients and I were talking once and she was just terrified that her life was going to get boring. And a lot of times, our, like for me, drinking was an act of rebellion. It really was. It was an act of like being able to do whatever the fuck I wanted to do. And when I got drunk, yeah. I was a nut. And um, in a good way. Like I, not a destructive way. I just, I had fun. There were shenanigans. And I needed to still have – I still needed that part. Yeah, I still needed shenanigans. And and I, I – so I cultivated that. That was part for me. That was what made it palatable. Um, and now, yeah. I mean, now if I were to go to I, – I still don't know if I'd be cool. Like, unless the people were highly interesting and there was no small talk involved, could I go to a party <laughs> like what you described? <laughs> well, that's pretty much how it is. I mean, you walk in and you're basically – in 10 minutes, you're like – you know, you talked about like – the most personal thing that's happened to you in the last week, you know? So when I, once I, once now that I know, and I actually have relationships with these people, I mean, look, I don't like walking into a room of people. I don't know anytime. Yeah. I mean, anytime. So, but doing it, you know, in that context was totally horrifying. And, um, you know, and it was, I'm I'm glad for it. Like I'm glad that I had people to 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 what I didn't know is like everybody in that situation is somewhat awkward and they all, you know, they they've all been there. They've all been at that place, but you know, I just didn't know. I didn't know what else to do with myself. It was you know, if I had a Friday night, which I hated Friday nights, it was like, okay, I can either go home and just hide or I can try to push myself a little bit and do this thing and I would try to I would do the thing and I'd be totally exhausted by it but you know what came out of that was I would connect with a couple people yeah and I slowly 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 started to weave a new circle you know yeah yeah um it was hard man I, I now that we're talking about it I realized how challenging the whole social thing was it was really painful for me um because I 
And I did also, like you, um, simultaneously, I was building this deep inner life. You know, I, I started to sense, albeit very slowly, that what I wanted, what I was seeking in the connection about, you know, that I thought was made through alcohol and in the bars and in the book clubs with wine and all that, what I was seeking was what I was finding in sobriety. But it was first a relationship with myself and with, for me, you know, God, higher power, whatever you want to call it, universe. It was the first time I really connected with myself and started to, you know, grow this inner life that I had always been attracted to and always had, but I just kept blotting it out with alcohol or whatever. Um, So it was a lot of those things were going on simultaneously, just like you said. It's so intense. It's so intense. But it wasn't – it's funny. Like for me, the socializing aspect was a – it was a side note. It wasn't a big deal. It was just not a big – it was – it's like it was kind of – it's the – I think the social aspect of my life was the least interesting thing that happened to me in 2013. That's to be honest. Yeah. My whole life I had spent trying to fit in and trying – and and like trying, you know, and and I think defined by my social calendar, what I got invited to, what I went to, how I acted, what I looked like. And then – it just did not fucking matter. It just didn't. It was the least interesting part of of, of my early sobriety. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I think I think um, I think the the sort of story that I always go back to is when I realized um, that I didn't really have a social life, and it was it was when I was dating this guy, and he it was like a, I was about two months sober. New, 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 new. And he, it was a Sunday after Thanksgiving, and he had uh, spent the Thanksgiving holiday with me and a few days after that, and he was kind of my social life at that time. And he went, he was heading home or getting ready to head home, and I, he was going out to watch football and, like, drink beers with one of his friends. And I started to get this panicky feeling because I just didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't have anyone to call. I didn't want to really do anything. There was nothing I could think of that I wanted to do. And I realized that I just didn't have a circle of people, you know, or even really one person. And I, I realized I was building an entirely new social life, you know, that I just didn't have one at that time. And it was, I had held a lot of stake in that. And, you know, like what you said, you'd build a whole a whole life based on what other people thought and who you were with and how what you know like your social life and I had too and I feel like that was the most painful point but it was also a turning point because I think what you're talking about when you say you know it, it was the least interesting thing to me it was probably you stopped giving a fuck about that and you were the other things were happening in your life that surpassed the that piece of it that were more interesting to you and that was the point where I kind of did the same I I stopped giving a fuck and I started focusing on you know what I could build up yeah well it was more I mean I would have I I became committed to saving my life um that was what was the that was very thematic and I would have done any I mean I started doing it 
I started, you know, doing that on January 1st of that year, January 2nd, and that was all I gave a fuck about. It was all I gave a fuck about was, was, was not dying. I had been dying my whole life, and I just, at that point, nothing, nothing compared, which doesn't mean it doesn't, which is not to say that things did not hurt, which is not to say that it wasn't lonely, which is not to say that, you know, parts of it didn't suck or that I didn't struggle in ways with, you know, the social aspect of it, but what it is to say is that I just, I cared so much more about living. I cared so much more about what was unfolding, and and that was and that was just yeah, that was it. Yeah. I went to my ex boyfriend's house when I was having a huge party. One of my everyone there was shit faced. I'm pretty sure the new girl he was fucking was there. She was weird, and one of my friends came up to me and he's like he said something like. What did he say? It was, it was somebody I worked with, and he said like something about it, you know, being weird that I wasn't like, how do I handle all of this? And I was just, I was stoned, and I was just like, well, I'm stoned out of my fucking mind right now, and I'm gonna go downstairs and smoke a joint. But it, it was also more like, um, it just, I remember it just, I just also didn't give a fuck. I just didn't give a fuck that I wasn't part of that world anymore. I didn't give a yeah. fuck. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. It took a while, though. It took a, it took a while for me to get there, but I eventually got there too. It just it was a painful undoing. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so what does it look like now? Your social life. It's very very quiet. Um, I I don't know. I mean, there was just something started to grow. I started to long for. I well, I had longed for throughout. Me, you know, having kindred spirits, and I was—I had lost most—not lost most of my friends, but there was a lack of commonality, and there was also a lot of weird stuff. And I, I, you know, I started a small club, a meetup group called Sobriety Club for Girls, and then, and I started to—that this was the best part of it—was that I, it, it, I started to meet people like me, and meaning people mm-hmm. that had like one of my girlfriends and I were laughing. She, she talked about how she used to carry a necklace with a coke vial and. She used to, you know, she used to uh, run huge parties and she was, she'd talk about how, you know, she was like, she'd always pull this vial of Coke from between her tits and like, whatever. We were talking about it and I was just like, we're, you know, we're eating donuts and sitting in her living room on a Friday night and we were just, it was like, it was the best time, one of the best times of my life because it was just mm-hmm. like, because we both had been there and we, we laughed about how I probably would have, you know snorted cocaine off of her boobs and like and I it was just like yeah. it's just there was this part of like of there started to I started to find on this side of it this rich rich world of 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 you know and also these characters in this in this new life that of people that mm-hmm. understood me more than than anybody had ever understood me and being able to have that commonality was breathtaking and so my social life now is a lot of that meaning I count what my social life is as in how I'm socially connected, meaning that you are part yeah. of my social life, even though we, you know, we we talk on the phone. My social life is has depth in in that I'm more understood and I'm more myself than I have ever been. I, yeah. you know, I I slowly started to return to things. I mean, I would go out dancing with my friends. I never stopped doing that. I'd still go out. I'd still go, you know, and do like I'd still show up, you know, for things, um, less and less frequently, but I'd still show up for friends that you know still drink. But it was just it was much different than it was before and well, it was probably when you just when you wanted to when I wanted to yeah it was when I it was or and with people I knew I'd have fun with I didn't I stopped I 
very long time a very long time ago I stopped doing boring stuff and and stuff that like just like that I that I would have before gotten through if, if I could drink you know I just yeah I, yeah yeah I, there were th- so many things I would do and I would be like well at least I can drink there but now you know without it it's just like I'm not going to waste my time doing something with somebody I don't enjoy or you know that I don't have anything in common with and so so yeah I mean oh. but it looks like what it looks like now and and hard to describe in a very short you know period but like I it looks like it looks like doing things that I want to do with people I want to be with you know it looks like a lot of good food I go out I still go out to good meals I still um I do a lot of it is yogic centric um a lot of it is it sobriety centric uh it's just it's it's like it's much quieter um and and I also would say on a very large level whereas before I completely denied this introverted aspect of myself and would force my poor 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 introverted self to go out and be with people um I now really honor that I actually by nature get really uh people I, I, by nature, get recharged by my internal world. And when yeah. I'm around with people, I find I lose a lot of my steam. So I now am actually also very mindful of uh, of what a good balance is for me. And I stay in a lot. And I love staying in. And I do things yeah. with people that don't – I'm very careful about who I spend my time with. I'm very careful about – what events I do, um, and just just mindful of it. And and then one other note too, I I still like, I don't. Um, it's very hard for me, very hard for me. I mean, as as much as is out there about me, and as much as I you know talk, I'm I'm not very. I don't give fucks. I'm I'm not very private. All that stuff. But I still really don't do well uh, in new in in large social situations. Um, yeah. And well, I never did well to in me those very... when I was drink when I drank yeah. I never did well in those when I drank I just became just drunk enough to to be okay with the fact that it was overwhelming for me yep. um but but now I can't do that and so I do not like um I do not like big parties I do and I do not like places where the attention is on me I hate it I hate it I hate I hate I hate I hate I hate being like we I wrote about it on my about my birthday I hate parties where I'm the central focus or I hate anything where I'm the central focus. I just don't like it. I'm very, very yeah. like quiet and very background and very, you know, unless, unless, you know, I'm in a mood where I want to be, you know, the center of attention or obnoxious or whatnot. But yeah, I'm, I don't know. It's, that's like, that's like answering a question that I could spend an hour answering or two hours answering. But my, my social life today is full and rich and soft and it is nurturing and nourishing Mm. and it is it and it's expanding too it's expanding yeah so yeah yeah I love that I you answered it well I think um I think this is where we are the most similar in just you know a lot of I was nodding my head the whole time that you were talking I Oh, I'm so sad how <laughs> that I that I tortured my introverted self for so long. You know, I think about how I was as a kid and that I just really my happy place was with a book in a in a room with a book. I mean, that's what I wanted where I wanted to be. And then I you know, I drank a lot of times. I thought I thought that's what I really liked doing, being out. But I didn't, you know, I didn't. I drank 
I drank to make myself more comfortable in this situations. And I do have aspects of myself that are hyper, hyper social. Like I, I like it, but then just as quickly, I don't like it and I don't want to do it. Um, so I'm very much seeking that balance and it's, it's come to a place where it's better. It's like, like you said, it feels softer. Um, it feels expansive. Um, my social life is still a little compartmentalized because I have a daughter. So that aspect of it, there's a lot of social things that come with that. And, and those are, those are fine and good. And then there are, you know, my, my, I don't do a lot of social stuff with work at all anymore. Um, and through AA and through, you know, the, the kind of the work that we do together, I feel like I've built the kind of circle of friends that um, I don't want to say that I've always wanted because, my God, I love my friends in all all phases of my life. But my well, friendships are there's that are, like there's that there's that saying a reason a season a lifetime and I like that I feel yeah. the same I don't want to disrespect any of the friendships that came before that don't necessarily fit in right now um, and that might in the future again fit in who knows but you're right but it is to say that there's just it, that you're it's a, there's a beautiful thing about meeting people where you're at and I thank God for those girls that you know met me where I was at when I wanted to go. Yeah. And drink twelve dollar cocktails, you know, and like oh yeah, I mean, and those, those a lot of you know, a few of those women are and girls as we were then are still are still my dear friends. It's um, but my friendships now, no matter from what phase they're in, have nothing to do with alcohol, you know. So it just changes them so so drastically, and I I love that connection. I love what my friendships feel like now. And I love that I, you know, we'll get into the things that you miss, but I, I love that there's, um, it's just me and the person or me and the group of people without all that stuff in between us. Um, even though that stuff was, was a lot of fun at, at a certain time. Well, there's also this like really kind of beautiful fact. There's no ulterior motive. There's no, I just want to hang out with you because I know you'll get shit faced with me and I won't yes. feel guilty about it. And it's really funny because that some of those friendships like went away really quickly that were based on that. But then I have like, like one of my, one of my really good friends, we just recently reconnected. I think like I just, I, I, I like, because the world is beautiful. But she and I, our friendship was forged on many things, but it was also really heavily sustained by the fact that we loved to go and sit at bars and, you know, put back a bottle of Chardonnay each and um, and smoke cigarettes and, and bitch yeah. about work or, you know. And we kind of drifted apart because there was always that, like, I would hang out with her at some point because, like, because I knew she'd get drunk with me. I would choose her over other people that maybe... Mm -hmm. I, you know, was close, you know, I would just choose her because I knew there would be, I'd get to do what I wanted to do with her. I'd get to like, not have to worry about what somebody thought. And, um, yes. and we reconnected recently and it's been so big and beautiful because there's no ulterior motive when I want to, I like, I just purely love her and it's not, I really want to hang out with her because I can drink like an ass without, um, you know, without feeling judged. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah. You know? Oh, I totally. I mean, I have, uh, I have lots of the same 
things. And, you know, and it's sad because it's like you do, you probably always loved her, but you also had this thing that you needed to take care of, you know, and that you wanted to do. And I mean, I was on both sides of that. I, I had many friends who I knew they wanted to be around me because I would get drunk with them and I wouldn't judge them and then vice versa. I wanted to be around people who would let me just go for it. Yeah, it's it's um it's fascinating and it's exciting and it's beautiful and my social life is less far less important to me than it used to be and it's not that it's not important it is it's just not I had a lot of the fear of missing out I mean constantly fear of missing out I also thought I would disappear you know if I wasn't drinking I was gonna just disappear like what and and now even if I even though I stay home far more and I spend far more time by myself and my you know in in my inner world I never you know I don't feel like I'm disappearing I don't feel like I'm disappearing you know because I have the connections are a lot deeper yeah I know I call it Jomo the joy of missing out Yes, Joy Jomo. Oh, so much more Jomo than FOMO now. I love Jomo. All right, so let's move on. We got to move in. We got eight quick questions. So number one, what do you do when people ask you, are you drinking or do you drink? So in social situations, it's totally uh, situational. I've never, I don't have like a blanket answer. Um, I always just do what feels right at that time. If people ask me if I'm drinking, I, I say no. And if they say, do you drink? I just say no. I keep it as simple as possible. And if people want to ask more, then I'm more than willing to talk about it. But I I don't offer it up. I don't say why. I just keep it really simple. Um, there have been a couple occasions where it, because of the situation and the person and they asked, I told them more you know, or, or made a more in-depth comment that was obviously implying that there was more to it if they wanted to go there. But for the most part, I keep it super simple. What about you? What do you do when people ask? Um, I say no. And I have to say that this has evolved significantly over my sobriety. And at first, um, I just said, oh, I stopped drinking. And I talked about how I no longer wanted to drink because I was really excited about no longer wanting to drink. And then uh, as it got more serious and uh, when I stopped again, it was uh, I'm an alcoholic and I I can't. And I was very, very, I was very, um, I I owned it and I was proud of it, but I also would Did you say that because you wanted to shut down the conversation? I said it because I was I was infuriated with people's ignorance and people's uncomfortableness around uh, around addiction and alcoholism, oh, right. and I was very very um, I was I was at that. <clears throat> and you point. wanted to point that out, yeah. Yep. Yep, I wanted to make people feel as fucking uncomfortable as possible. Um, <laughs> and now, you know, and then it mellowed, and then I stopped using the word alcoholic or addict, and then, and now it's just simply, no, I don't drink, and I don't talk about it. I don't like to talk about it. I find it to be, um, it's very personal, and it's also 
Um, and so I shut it down usually, and I and I don't shut it even have to shut it down. I just I I carry a sense with me that I don't want to talk about it. And um, yeah. some people will persist in it, and I do talk about it. But only under the situ- only under the circumstance where people really have a personal inquiry on it, where they are trying yeah. to figure something else out, and I'm really good at distinguishing that. If people want to pry, totally. and you know what, like I shut it down. But if people are really trying to figure out their own relationship with it, or here's another interesting one, they're um, they're a familial, like somebody from their family's relationship with it. Yeah. I'll go to I'll go there, but but not, but my own personal stuff with it, I just am very clear. Um, I you know here's my card, here's my blog. Read. I, I'm not. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to talk about it. <laughs> Let's, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the set number two. What do you do about pushy people? God, I haven't had this. I I just don't. I haven't had this come up yet, and it's probably because I'm not in situations. Like, I don't go to the bars, really. And I don't, I'm not in situations where it would be pushed or questioned. I'm trying to think, oh, there was one time where I went to brunch uh, with a, a really good friend and, and a uh, guy she had visiting her. And it was at brunch. He was he ordered a bottle of wine for himself um, when we sat down. And then, you know, she had a drink or whatever. And he kept asking me, you know, when the first time she came around and I said I was going to get like club soda, he probably thought I was hungover. And then she asked again and and then he pushed it, you know, and he said, you're not drinking? Like not at all? Like, you know, nothing? And I said, no, no, no. And he said, were you an alcoholic? (laughs) And um, I just looked at him and I smiled and I said, what do you think that means? And we got into like kind of a good discussion about it. But that was the only time that I'd ever been really pushed and otherwise I just haven't. And, you know, so I don't know how I deal with it. I think, I think I could be pretty lighthearted about it and it would be so situational again. Like if it was just someone that was drunk and being obnoxious, you know, I could shut that down and I would probably be obnoxious back. Um, but I don't, I haven't come across it much. Hmm. Have you? Yeah, I mean, in in Italy, I get it a lot. It's, oh, yeah. it's like uh, not even a little bit. There's a missing. There's a there's not a um, there's a difference in understanding it. And um, so we've got a lot of. It's not. It's just uh, like Francesco kind of would always make you know quips under his breath. Well, you don't drink, so I guess we should go back to my apartment and have water, and. Uh. Um, and not even just a little bit from so many different people, um, so many different people that just thinks it goes, like it just goes away over time. Um, so there's that, and then also I, I would say more than anything, what I've what I've had to deal with that bothers not that bothers me the most. That yeah, I'll say bothers. That's uh, I find there's more. It's not so much people being pushy as people being projecting, and so mm. a lot of times um, there will be assumptions, and there will be people a lot. A lot of times there's just been conversations where it's it's a projection of their their shit all over me of why they don't have a problem. And that's where I tend to yep. get like, Ugh, and I shut it down very. quickly quickly um I that's good thanks and then you know just I don't want to talk a lot of times I'll just say I don't want to talk I'm you know I'm not interested in this conversation um I have had a couple I've had I don't know I just I've had a lot of fucking I've had many weird experiences many many like one time one of my friend's mother-in-laws um came up to me and she knew I wasn't drinking and she 
handed me a bottle of red wine and said she was she was a she run she's a she runs in crop insurance and she said she handed me a bottle of wine and she showed me it and she said this is one of my newest clients isn't it a beautiful bottle what do you think of it and then like she asked me to smell it and I was just sitting there and I was like you're fucking kidding me why you know? am I holding this fucking <laughs> no I was just it was just her stuff and I said it's beautiful and I handed it back to her and I walked yeah. away you know, but it's more, yeah, I mean, it's, we're talking about pushy. I, when I think of pushy, I think it's people, people's pushing their stuff on me and yeah. that happens quite often. And I usually very quickly find a way to exit and change. Do not engage in that. Do not engage. Yeah. Yeah. No tolerance for that. Yeah. All right. Um, question number three. What if you don't want to tell people? What advice do you have for 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 those people who are listening that really don't want to draw attention to it and that uh, that don't want to tell people that they are either thinking about sobriety or in the first part of it or just not drinking? Like, what do you tell those people? What advice? Yeah, <clears throat> I would. First of all, there's something about having if you're. This is assuming you're in a social situation where there's drinking because it doesn't usually come up otherwise. Um, I always have something in my hand, like a club soda or a club soda and cranberry or some something, and I often notice that most people don't ask. Um, it's usually a lot of the concern is on my end, thinking that people are paying a lot more attention to what I'm doing than they are. Um, but if you don't want to tell people, I mean, there's a million things you can say and the easiest one is I'm just not drinking tonight. Um, it, I, for me, I found that really hard to say that because it just, I don't know, it felt squirmy to me. It's like, I'm like, I'm, it felt like not true to me, but it's a good way to just sort of drop it. And the challenge is that the couple times that I did that, people have said, have pushed it, you know, like, why, what do you, you can, you could, you know, do you have to get up in the morning? Da, 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 da. And, um, but there's, just a, there's one. A, yeah, <laughs> just, just one, one, like you can do one or whatever, but I, you know, I'm not, not drinking tonight. A quick way to do it is say I'm on medication. <laughs> um, the, the, what I found though more and more is if you have something in your hands and you're, people don't necessarily care. Um, so there's a lot of things. It, if you have to be willing to maybe fib a little, you know, but it's, I think this is a, the okay kind of fib. <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of the best advice I have. It's have a couple canned responses and just know what you're going to say. And once it's over, it's over. You know, once people ask, it's kind of over. Um, so what about you? You've dealt with this a little bit more like, you know, actually advising people. Yeah. It. It just I always say like, you know, it's it's whatever energy you bring to the conversation. If you are mm -hmm. clearly uncomfortable, if you are embarrassed, if you don't want to talk about it, if you've got – if you're lying or if you're – whatever energy you're bringing, they can feel that more than they'll ever hear anything come out of your mouth. Yeah. That's the thing yeah. I say. And so I really advise people before they're going into a situation where they're not ready to tell, talk, whatever, that first of all, they spend a decent amount of time envisioning that and envisioning when they're asked. 
and then practicing the response that they'll give and also practicing the energy that they'll bring to it. I always suggest to watch Amy Cuddy's uh, TED Talk on power positions um, and um, practice standing with your arms behind your head, practice just your projection in this. And I really advise against, I do advise against lying because it's just cheating something that's fucking awesome. And I advise just to shut it down and just say, I'm just not. I'm just not right now. And like, and to leave it at that, people will only give, they will only take what you give. They will only take what you give. And I do practice from the very beginning just saying something along the lines of, I'm just not drinking. I'm just not drinking. And to leave it at that. And then to practice kind of holding your power in these situations. I think these are really, really great opportunities to start to take your power back over a decision that's your right when you quit pot, when you quit cocaine, when you quit cigarettes, when you quit anything. You do not get asked these questions. It is a complete social anomaly that this is the one drug we have to justify not taking and I start by saying please do not bring any shame to this you know please do not start out by going out and feeling like this is something to be ashamed of or this speaks volumes for you because that is the energy that you carry with it I do always say, but you have to do what feels right for you. At the end of the day, you have to do what's right for you. Great excuses, great ways to get around it. I'm on an alcohol cleanse. I'm not drinking for this month. These are things that are widely accepted. I am doing a, I am, uh, I, I am on morning. a health detox. Um, you know, but what you're doing is you're out there and you're there and people need to actually hear another story. They do not need you to conform. They need to hear another story, which is that some of us don't drink and that, It's just as simple as that. And so I always say, practice before you go out. Know what you want to say. Imagine the question. Practice yourself doing it and receiving the question. More than anything, remember that people are just, will get as embarrassed as you get. That's it. People will get as embarrassed as you get or people will get as empowered as you get. I have never, I've had so few embarrassing conversations about this. The only ones I ever had were when I was, when I would literally try and make someone feel stupid. I'm an alcoholic, you dick. You know, we're like... (laughs) What the fuck do you think I can? Why do you think I can't fucking drink? Because I can't, you know what I mean. Yeah. I've like I've had those conversations where it's like a duh, like no. But I've 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 had conversations where I really took the, where I really took advantage of somebody else's ignorance and made them feel dumb about it. That was a period of my life I went through. And these days, you know, like it's just to everyone. If you're if you're encountering this, just own it. Say as little or as much as you want to say. That's all within your right. You do not have to lie. You you get to even, you know, you get to say whatever you want to say, but you don't have to lie. And remember well, you that your to. energy, no. your energy that you bring to this will speak far more volumes than whatever words you put out there. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. What do you do if you have to – oh, I see. Yeah, I see. Like a work event. Okay. What if you do if – you, if, what do you do if you have to go to something that in your – like I guess we're saying early in sobriety, that's a big thing, um, that's uh, that's a required event that's going to – you know, that's going to be full of triggers and weird, uncomfortable right. stuff. Yeah. Like a wedding. I mean, weddings yeah. are, or work stuff or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> well, this is what – this is – a big one for me that I like to to talk about. First of all, question the assumption that you have to go. Like I always, you know, there are thousands of things that I thought I had to go to and about five that I probably actually had to go to. Like your your family members, you know, your sister's getting married, brother's getting married, probably have to go. Um, the holiday party for your work, probably don't have to go. So really first, I would say question, you know, what if you actually have to do this thing, 
especially if you're in early sobriety, you know, you can probably miss it this year. Um, but if you have to have to go, I make a plan. Um, and this is so far against my nature <laughs> to plan and think through these things. Um, it takes like, to me, it takes the romanticism out of it, but you know what, sometimes these things are just stuff you, you need to get through and you need to get through sober. So I would think about, um, sort of the, the absolute minimum level of involvement that I need to have. Like, do I need to go to every piece of it? Do I need to show up when it's expected of me to show up or can I show up when, you know, after, the toasts or whatever. Can I um, leave early? And I love what you said about imagining yourself there. Like I um, imagine myself at these events. And I also had always had one person, if not there, which is ideal, that knew what was going on with me, that I had people that I said to text me or call me during this thing and that I checked in with them. Um, that's that's how I got through a lot of, I mean, weddings, the weddings had been the hardest for me because a couple of them were total weekend events, you know, where I was traveling and doing all that. Um, but I found a way, you know, I would take breaks, I would take walks, I would um, call a lot of people, I'd call you, I would call my sponsor, I would text a lot of people um, and stay present in, in what you're what you're doing too. And also it like doesn't have to be filled with dread. A lot of times what I found is that at these events that I had great conversations, you know, once I, the anticipation of the thing was so much worse than the actual thing itself. Uh, so that's what I would say. What about you? Um, I, I, I think that I really don't have much to add, um, to what you just said. I always say, you know, there's you're exactly right we probably have to go to like maybe one percent of the things that we think we have to go to I mean if you had cancer if you had a heart condition if you were you know in the hospital or had any other serious serious you know ailment you wouldn't and so this is the same you know it does not mean you have to say that to people but it also just means that you get to you get you get a pass you get a pass while you're in the middle of healing yourself and then the other part I'll say is I do what you do I always suggest um, envisioning and I say envision the whole thing before you go to it from the second that you get there to the second that you leave imagine all your exit plans imagine all the uncomfortable situations see yourself getting through it with success um, and always 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 make sure that you have a treat for yourself if you go to something like this and that you don't want to go to you have to go to always you know make sure that you have a nice reward for yourself for doing it at the end of the night to get yourself through so Mm -hmm. I love that yeah that's awesome okay uh number five do you still go to bars no I really don't I mean I will go once in a while if it's a thing if it's a thing and I have a reason to be there like I'm having dinner or something, but otherwise I don't, and I have zero interest in being in bars. Uh, so yeah, that's a pretty easy answer. What about you? <laughs> um, yeah, I still go to bars. I mean, not like again, only if only if there's like something happening there. Um, it's right. not of my own volition. I don't say, hey, let's meet at this bar. Um, but I'll go for a party or whatnot. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it ain't no thing. Yeah. To me. 
anymore. No, I, it's a, it is a thing. I don't I don't like the energy of being in a bar at all. It makes me very anxious and icky, and I you know I'll do it once in a while, but it still feels very. I get very wooed by the inputs. You know, not that it's like I want to drink. It's just not fun. Oh, I have fun. I mean, I like it, it for me. It's what, who I'm with. Like, you know, if I go out with like, um, if I go out with my girlfriends and and like if someone's having a party and it happens to be at a bar and they're you know is dancing, like, I find it to be fun. I find it to be one of those challenge. If I'm with people I love, I find no problem in it whatsoever for me anymore. Just as long as I'm with you know with the people that I love. And sometimes it's, I don't know. It's like going out into the wild and witnessing what the animals are doing still. You know, and like you, I. It's really like it really can be interesting and it also can be a great way to be like I can still dance when I'm sober. I can still you know what I mean? And I do yeah. I do love getting dressed up and going out, you know, I just do. I mean there's just a part yeah. of me that's like you know, so I don't know. I guess know. I just I also just my friends aren't going to bars anymore. You know, I just am not in that life phase, I guess. Where it's it looks so different and I think well, bands play at bars. I mean, I'm not in that life phase either, but, like, some of my friends still play in bands and bands play at bars or some of my friends still like to go out dancing. I, I want to dance until I'm old. And a lot of times there's just, you know, like, some of the good dancing happens to be at a place that has a bar. So I just, I mean, it's not like my, you know, it's, but it, for me, it's just not like a, it's just not a thing. I don't know. Okay. Um, okay. Number six. What about social anxiety? Oh, yes. Um, so I guess we're talking about how to deal with it. I mean, I, (laughs) I didn't really know that I had social anxiety. I wouldn't have said that, but, uh, but I did and I do. And I, uh, I don't even know how to say that I deal with it. I mean, I don't, I don't, um, it's so situational. Sometimes I will feel like throwing myself into a super social situation. And sometimes I can't imagine anything more torturous. Um, and I just kind of roll with that and honor whatever place I'm in. Um, I, I don't know. I I didn't know how bad my social anxiety was. It's gotten so much better after some some time because I'm I'm much more comfortable. I know I have tons of things to talk about. I know I have a life that I'm excited about. So it's that takes a lot of it away. I mean, it took just a lot of getting used to not having a thing and not having a couple beers or drinks or wine and glasses of wine in me before I was able to open my mouth. Um, so I don't know. It's one of those things that I didn't really get that I had. I realized I had it in, in uh, spades and I don't know. I still don't know how much of that was due to not socializing without alcohol, uh, how much I really actually have social anxiety. What about you? I mean, I know you, yeah. Yeah. Awkward. Awkward till I die. Um, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I just have I one of those I want a shirt things. that says that, awkward till I die. Actually, we're going to make those. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's just, uh, it's something I've always struggled with, which is, uh, I have, I can feel everything. I can feel people's emotions more, than, like my heightened sense is the feeling sense. And 
Uh, I also am always very concerned about people's own comfort and I am – so for me, like, it always was, like, walking into a big party a lot of times uh, was – and also I just – I anticipate and I get excited. And so I used to – I can remember this walking into house parties when I was – like 17, I can still feel myself driving my car with my friends, parking the car. And then as soon as I start walking towards the party, I want to just sprint into it. Like I can barely wait. Like it's almost yes. too much. Oh and, um, and that's, I mean, that's just like, I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm awkward. I don't know. I feel everything. I'm awkward. I'm impatient. I'm reactive. Ah. So for me, what it's been like, um, it's become this thing that I've understood. I now get it. I now get it. I now get it. And so when I, when I go to places, it's got to be, I mean, that thing we did in Washington, D.C. was just painful on so many levels because I was meeting all these people that I didn't know who knew about what they knew about me. I didn't know if there'd be small talk. I didn't know what it have to, you know, like, oh, God. And it turned out to be wonderful. It turned out to be really wonderful because um, we kind of cut right through the fucking small talk. Um, yeah. But I think for me, it's just a matter of um, – I just think it's how, I mean, clearly meditation does not change this because it's never changed it for me. Um, and so I just, I don't know. I, I guess I just like, I adore my awkward self. I don't, I know I, I limit the number of interactions I'm going to go into that are going to blow me up. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I'm, I have social anxiety and I'm never going to take a pill for it. And I am going to probably suffer it, uh, until I die, which is fine for me because it actually works really well for me. It keeps me, it keeps me, you know, probably, uh, doing the things that bring me the most joy. I, to me, it feels like a red flag. If I feel that way, it's probably not something that I need to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and learning how to write it out, you know, in a way, and also that most people are not are uncomfortable. Like it's all people are people. Do. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> half of the at least half of the anxiety comes from thinking that you're somehow, you know, feeling so much different than everyone else is. When in fact we're all just sitting there, you know, going, talk to me. Than that. Anyway, okay, let's move on. I don't want to talk about my social anxiety anymore. Um, <laughs> is it making you anxious? <laughs> yes. No, it's making me. Is it making you anxious to talk about social anxiety? It is. No. I don't know. I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Um, oh, I love this question. Number seven, do you miss any part of your old, old social life? Oh, yeah. This is a good one, huh? Um, yeah. Sometimes I do. Yeah. I miss, I do, the parts that I miss, um, and they're sort of romanticized in my mind, um, and I also want to say I don't miss them to the degree that I, like, pine for them or I wish they were back, but I have nostalgia about them, and I sometimes look at people who I imagine are in the space that I you know, once occupied and I, and I get in in the good parts and I get wistful about it. So I do miss the fuck and the, in the good sense of the word, I miss the, you know, going out and having the, uh, with, you know, some of my girlfriends or, or whatever, and just having there be this sense of, we don't know what's going to happen. And, it's exciting. Um, I miss the, 
I miss the being able to turn myself off sometimes that, that sort of softening or loosening that alcohol gave and especially, you know, wine or with like girlfriends and, and things like that. I miss that. I miss that. It, but I, I don't miss it. It didn't look like that for so long. You know, I, I miss when it was still sort of in the more innocent place. Um, I do miss that stuff. Like I, I'm in this, okay, I'm in, I'm at the Super Bowl. It is one big party. I mean, everything that's advertised is like, you know, wine tasting this, bourbon flight tasting that. It's all centered around drinking. And that stuff, like, I don't sit there and wish I could go to it. But when I'm walking down the street, I'm in the Santana Row in San Jose, which is like this completely manufactured couple of streets with thousands of, not thousands, hundreds of stores and and um, restaurants and bars and a lot of them are outside and it looks it it can look it can look fun like I I miss sort of just the fuckets and saying and checking out um that sometimes I do miss and I miss you know, sort of exaggerating however I was feeling with alcohol um, if I was like falling in love or had a crush, I miss kind of exaggerating it with that. Um, but see, these are the things as I'm t- talking that play out in my mind that, um, that it's like how you look back at a lover and you remember these, the beautiful aspects and the, the, you know, they're, they're better looking, they're better in bed, they're more caring about, about you, they're, you know, less of less asshole than you than you can put into immediate memory but the truth of it is it didn't it didn't look like that and it really didn't feel like that it's just I sometimes miss the time you know the brief periods of time when it did so that that kind of stuff I miss um but again it's not it's not like um I wouldn't trade it I wouldn't I don't want the trade-off you know what that comes with for me at all and I, and I get so much more on this side, but I do like, I was walking down the street yesterday and people were sitting outside and having margaritas and being kind of raucous and loud. And I thought that looks kind of fun. <laughs> that looks kind of fun. Um, so yeah, I miss, I miss, miss things like that once in a while. It's still definitely not a constant. It's usually when I'm put into situations where I see it. What about you? I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Well, part, part partly because I don't, um, I, I consciously don't allow myself to be honest. I just, I think mm-hmm. it's pointless. Um, it's like yeah, thinking about ex-boyfriends. I mean, if it was something we wanted to talk about, <laughs> you and I, on our own, we would, but yeah. we don't, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, I there there are moments I find I. I'm trying to think of what it is. I think like there, there's sometimes there's a reminiscing over, um, over the m- more of the like t- and of of the fuckets, right? Of an afternoon where you might like say, let's just go grab a drink, mm. 
and then you yeah. and 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 then adventure adventure ensues. I miss that like I miss that spontaneity of it, and especially with men, I used to love to just like go out and have a drink, and then like go and play you know darts, and then run from bar to bar and act like fucking fools, and end up at my place playing Xbox and smoking joints. And I miss the like I miss the checking out sometimes. I do miss that like of just checking out of life and just taking yeah. the moment to be you know because I don't grant myself. I mean. I do I, I do grant myself that but not in the way I used to so I miss that um I miss uh, but I don't I don't miss I mean there's just I don't miss that other part of it I don't look at my girl I don't see pictures on Facebook of people out sitting at a bar around a table or drinking wine or you know I there's not been a second when I was in Italy and I I just like I looked at someone else's table with their bottle of wine and and thought, oh, my life would be so much better if I was sitting here in Italy drinking wine. Um, yeah. I I just haven't had that. I haven't because yeah. I don't I don't I'm not dumb enough to think that that would that means that like and I'm dumb enough that sounds awful, but it's true. I just don't I don't look at that and say that's well, a better life. I, that's not, that's not, that's just not a better life. I look when I look at it and I see other people drinking, I think you're missing it. You're missing it. You're doling it. You're taking it away. I don't think it increases or enhances. I think that it doles and it takes it away. And um, and that's I mean that's just that's how I feel about that's how I feel about drugs and alcohol. I think that we we limit ourselves from actually experiencing the things, the real things. Um, right. And so I just I don't I don't think Paris will be less without champagne. I don't think you know I don't I just. Ugh, yeah, so I don't miss my social life. I, I like, like the I don't miss any. Like I definitely don't miss the social life aspect of it. I just I miss the some of the intimacy that comes from crap. Okay, sorry. I miss some of the intimacy that comes from um from you know from some of the intimacy that comes from some of those like um those I guess those things that like there's that. This would only happen if we drank, you know, like those those chance mm. encounters or those, you know, like mm. those um, blurred lines. But at the same time, I also I've had those same things happen sober. Um, oh yeah, and right. and to even and even and, and to much greater, you know, to much greater. Um, yeah. Anyway, so no, I really honestly don't. There will be moments when, like I was just reading Aiden's book, which we'll talk about in a lot a lot of that book, there's people slipping off at four in the afternoon to go get a drink and then, you know, yeah. hilarity or, or drama or, or something expands. And that, that got me thinking like, oh yeah, I do. I do miss slipping into a bar on a cold winter day and having a drink and it leading to something else and saying, fuck it. I do. I miss that. Yeah. But yeah. Rare. I mean, like when I was reading about it in Aiden's book, I missed it, you know, for a second, but not in a way that, in any sort of way that makes me feel like I, my life is less without it. So. Yeah. Well said. I agree. Okay. All right. So the last three questions, and um, very quickly, <laughs> three pieces of advice to anyone starting out regarding socializing. What are your top three biggest pieces of advice um, that you have yeah, um, I wrote these down. Oh, here they are. Okay. <sighs> Mine are very quick. I'm going to keep them very quick. So my first piece is don't go. Like the going back to the question of, the, you know, these things that we think we have to go to or we're afraid to miss out on or, you know, the, the, 
people are going to be disappointed if we're not there. We're letting someone down. 99% of it is bullshit. So if there's something that you're worried about or that stresses you out in any sort of direction, like just don't go. Like try that out. You know, try out not going. Give yourself some space and some time um, because this, this changes so much. But the only way it was ever, the only way that it changed for me truly is by letting go of the, letting go, letting go of it, um, letting go of my grip on the, out, the potential outcomes. If I don't go, if I do go, if I, you know, and so just negate it, canceling that all out and not going. Um, and letting the chips fall where they may. The the second thing is, and this sort of goes in line with it, um, but I wrote, I wrote a piece a while back called The Pregnancy Principle, and there's one line in there. The premise there is like, what if we treated, each, treated ourselves as if we were pregnant when we were in early sobriety? Like really just took that sort of frame of mind, you know, as I'm, I'm building a life, I'm building a body. I'm taking care of myself first and no fucking questions asked. And so my second piece is to have a little bit of like bite about your social life. Um, and one of the points is fuck every, everyone and everything else for a while. And that's not like to stop caring about people, but it's really to, as we've talked about through this episode, to start owning your, your space and start realizing that what you're doing is you're, sa- you're saving your life, right? um, by doing this and the social stuff, uh, although it caused me a ton of pain, once I let go of it, just like everything else, it started to take its own new shape. And then the third piece I would find is, um, having, or the third piece I would say is have patience is to really, 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 truly have patience that this is the stuff that works out um, to continue to stay open to the possibility that your life will, your social life and everything else about your life will become beautiful and intricate and layered and expansive um, over time and, and a short period of time, right? I mean, I've been sober for, I'll be coming up on a year and a half and everything looks different. And to trust that, like trust the the patience will pay off and um, things can change in a matter of days and moments um, and just staying open to, to new possibilities and being where you are with it. You know, if you decide not to go to a thing, like be in that place, sit with it, understand how it feels, um, but know that it, it will also change. So th- those are my three things. Don't go, period. <laughs> and remember the pregnancy principle and specifically the, you know, fuck everything, every everyone and everything else for a while and then to have patience. I love those. Those are wonderful. What are yours? Um, The first is to go slow. Um, Just don't do anything drastic Mm -hmm. and and meaning don't make any creepy, don't make, like throw all of your preconceived ideas about what's going to happen, what is happening out the window, and just go slow. Go through it and respond as it's happening. Do not make friend inventories. Do not go <sighs> to the lengths yes. of like of creating a dynamic that may not become true. 
So for me, it was more of instead of making up my mind about what was going to happen, I just let it happen and I navigated it as it happened. And that served me so well because I was actually responding in real time to what was happening around me. Um, so I say go slow. Just don't, don't do anything. Don't make your mind up and start strategizing it. Just go slow with it. Yeah. The second is um, own the shit. Own it. This is your path. Do not be ashamed of it. Do not be apologetic for it. And that means every aspect of it. Own the fuck out of it. You're making one of the most powerful and life-affirming choices. And it is my sincere belief that this is something that is ahead of the curve. That this is that drinking and what we've learned about drinking and how we have drank in this country is going out of style. And yeah. that it's passe and it's like fucking smoking cigarettes. You, the, you know, like my in my dream world, people that drink are relegated to the back alleys and <laughs> are, you know, and then are like, you're still drinking. No. But I do believe that this is a very proud and life-affirming and empowering decision. And please do not run around as if you have a secret and a shame. This is something that is powerful. So when you are in your social life, no matter how much you divulge or don't, please own it. Please own that you are making a powerful life-affirming choice and that you are doing something that most people wish they could do, not something mm-hmm. that other people are taking pity on, even if they say that. And this, the third is, is say fucking no. No is your best friend in your social life, meaning yes. you do not ever have to do anything that you do not want to do. And I'll tell you what, the friends that are your real fucking friends and the ones that you really, really care about cultivating relationships with, the, the people, the people that matter the most are the ones that will never make you feel bad for saying no. Never. And that does not mean that people will not react poorly or react badly, but it does mean that the ones that you really, really care about are the ones that are going to be like, no problem, totally got it. And that's what you want to cultivate. You want to cultivate people around you that understand what's going on with you. And one of the best litmus tests for that is saying no and, and having them still stick around. Do not be afraid that anything important is going to collapse. Have faith that when you say no, it just means the structures that are right now intended to remain to support you are still there and the ones that are not going to support you will quickly fall away say no say no say no no is a complete sentence yeah so that's it those are my three any last Uh, words uh, no i think that was good it was i'm gonna go socialize to the max today (laughs) okay well have fun and say hi to my former city and enjoy yourself i will take lots of pictures (laughs) Thank you.